1997, Annie Prue released a short story which ended with an indelible image, two men's shirts, both hanging for decades in the back of a nearly bare wooden closet. These shirts belonged to two ranch hands who had worked together one summer. Each shirt, flannel shirt, had years of wear and tear for these two men were poor, out of place in the world, grabbing summer odd jobs like sheep herding on a lonely Montana mountain for a summer. Over the course of this summer, these two men unexpectedly fell in love. And in that summer, they found more delight and companionship than either of them had ever experienced before or would ever experience again. This story you might recognize is Brokeback Mountain, a short story released in The New Yorker in the fall of 1997 and then in 2005 made into an Oscar-winning movie. It is the story of Jack Twist and Ennis Del Mar, two men who fall in love, but after that one summer, who both do what they are supposed to do by society's rules. They marry, have kids, string together jobs. They only continue to see each other once, maybe twice a year, but slowly over the years, over the decades, each of their marriages unravel or become empty shams. They both become estranged from their children. Both men struggle with their dangerous, illegal love, and eventually their own relationship breaks down under the strain. They never once say the word gay. They never once identify as queer. They never once say the word love or speak their honest feelings. After a few decades, after this mountain time, Jack is killed. Ennis never learns the full story, but he suspects a hate crime. A few years later, Ennis goes and visits Jack's family who live on a small, poor farm in Wyoming. Jack's mother doesn't say much, but she lets Ennis upstairs to see Jack's childhood bedroom. It is nearly bare, the remnants of a hard scrabble, unsettled life. Ennis eventually looks in the closet and the narrator describes a shallow cavity with a wooden rod across it, a faded curtain on a string closing it off from the rest of the room. In the closet hangs two pairs of jeans, crease ironed and folded neatly over wire hangers. On the floor is a pair of worn Packer boots that Ennis thought he remembered. At the north end of the closet, a tiny jog in the wall made a slight hiding place. And there, stiff with long suspension from a nail, hung a shirt. Ennis lifted it off the nail. It was Jack's old shirt from Brokeback days. The shirt seemed heavy until Ennis saw that there was another shirt inside it. The sleeves carefully worked down inside Jack's own sleeves. It was Ennis's own plaid shirt, lost, he'd thought, long ago, decades ago in some laundry. His dirty shirt, the pocket ripped, the buttons missing, stolen by Jack and hidden here inside Jack's own shirt. The pair, like two skins, one inside another, two on one. Ennis pressed his face into the fabric and breathed in slowly through his mouth and nose, hoping for the scent, the faintest scent of smoke 
or mountain sage, but there was no real scent, only the memory of it, the imagined power of that mountain of which nothing was left but what he held in his hands. These two shirts are able to express a love that Jack and Ennis have never been allowed to share publicly. These two shirts, rugged relics of a few months long ago, were professions of Jack and Ennis's identity, but they also were professions of who these two men wanted to be, a couple, safe in each other's arms. Why share this image now? Because a few weeks ago, I was reading the text suggested for preachers for today, and we are doing this sermon series on choosing a word of the week and offering a sermon around it. And so I chose to focus on the word clothed, as in clothed in Christ from Paul's letter to the Galatians, which we will hear in a few moments. There is a lot about being clothed in Christ in the Bible. John Calvin himself often wrote about how we put on Christ's righteousness like clothing, Clothing is an intriguing image. Clothing is both a marker of our current identity and a marker of who we want to become. It reveals both who we are and who we want to be. Clothing shapes us. I wanted to talk about clothing in the abstract throughout the scriptures. But then last Sunday morning, Orlando happened, or we found out about it. And this past week, we've had the anniversary of the Charleston And we were all reminded again in the most brutal way possible that some identities, some aspirations are not welcome to others. That when some people like LGBTQ or Latinx or African-American people express their identity, other people try to tear them down, sometimes fatally. Even Muslims experience this, getting shouted at and spit upon when they simply wear headscarves or other signs of faith. Perhaps you have had an experience similar to this in some way. Clothing says something to ourself and to the world. When we talk about clothing, we are not always talking about something shallow and simplistic. We are talking about something that becomes a powerful marker of who we are and who we want to become. Paul uses the image of being clothed in Christ here in the Galatians and in other places in Scripture. With this language, he is radically redefining the people of God, away from how they've identified themselves previously. Clothing is not just something we think about in the abstract. In fact, each of us have to deal with it every morning. It is something we probably had to think about even this morning. Wait a minute. Yes, you all have gotten dressed this morning, so you're good. So let us listen to the word of the Lord in Galatians chapter 3. Let us listen with our hearts and ears and minds open. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. 
There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lauren Winner is a professor at Duke Divinity School. Last year, she wrote the book, Wearing God, Clothing, Laughter, Fire, and Other Overlooked Ways of Meeting God. She talks in the opening pages about how her own images for God had become dry and dusty, and she realizes that this is more a failure of her own imagination rather than a true reflection of God's nature. So she decided to dig into the scriptures to see what other images there are for people relating to God, and she found clothing, both the article of clothing and the act of clothing. Clothing is all through the scriptures. She points out that Adam and Eve are told that they must leave the Garden of Eden, but God does not expel them without a backward glance. First, God makes them clothes. One of the first chapters in the whole Bible depicts God as a seamstress. God is caring for us humans by making clothes for us, much like a Hebrew mother would for her children in those days. Then we get to the epistles, which are the letters of Paul, and the letter to the Galatians, which we just heard, is one of the earliest letters written to the Christian church. When people were still meeting in small rooms and trying to figure out this thing called the Christian faith, Paul wrote this letter declaring that you have clothed yourself in Christ. Clothing in the ancient Mediterranean world followed a lot more rules than we do today. Women had to wear certain attire and do their hair certain ways, depending on whether they were unmarried, married, widowed, had children. Men had to wear certain clothes based on their role in public life. Slaves were expected to wear certain clothes which were markedly different than people who were free. Indeed, in those days, if you wore the wrong clothes, identified yourself in the wrong way, you would be subject to fines, imprisonment, or worse. So when Paul says, now that you've clothed yourself in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus, Paul is saying something incredibly countercultural. He is saying that Christ triumphs over any marker that the culture can put upon you. What Christ gives us is an identity that is more worthy, more mighty, more durable than any label or brand we might wear. As Lauren Winner points out in her book, we often think of the word clothing and fashion as nouns, as things that are concrete and therefore easily discarded. But both words, clothing and fashion, actually started in our language as verbs. To clothe someone means to do what God does for Adam and Eve, give them garments to wear, Make sure they have what they need to get through the day. And to fashion means to mold and shape something or someone. Clothing fashions us. It shapes us. It has the power to form us into a different version of ourselves, someone who feels or looks or lives into the world in a different way. Lauren Winner uses this example from her own closet. How when she first became a professor, she bought a whole series of very sharp Jackie O-style suits. 
Then a few years later, when she saw a scholar she particularly admired decked out in her fun array of brightly colored 1970s polyester blouses, she went and bought a few. Still, she admits most of the time, she ends up just wearing one of her many shapeless black dresses. And maybe if she's feeling really wild, she'll throw on a cranberry cardigan. But she admits that when she wants to feel professional, when she wants to believe that she knows precisely what she's doing in her job, she will put on one of those Jackie O suits. And immediately, she'll find herself standing up taller and talking slower. And when she wants to feel super smart, yet interesting, profound, yet hip, she'll adorn herself in one of those bright polyester blouses. Clothing fashions us. You might know that John Calvin helped to start the Presbyterian Church by his theology and his polity. He is our reformed forefather. And you might know that he is someone who spent a lot of pages in ink writing about human failure, human depravity. Over and over again, he makes sure that readers know just how bad humans can be, especially if they put their minds to it. And Truly, the events of this past week might make us a little more willing to listen to this. But what is often overlooked is that Calvin spends pages talking about how sinful we humans are. He's trying to make this point to us, get it through our heads. But then he says this simple and profound statement, all this is nothing compared to Christ. Christ outshines even our darkest sin, Christ clothes us with a grace that seeps into every part of us and transforms us fully from the inside out. Calvin writes that by grace, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness so that we stand before our creator. Apart from anything that we've done, we stand not as sinners, but as redeemed children. With love and care, Christ has cloaked us in a garment that is not within our power to make, but which is still, by grace, within our possibility to wear. On our own, we are not righteous, but draped in the garment of Christ, adorned by the cloak of Christ's love, we can stand tall, knowing that our failures, our sins, our shortcomings will not have the final word. By grace, Love wins. By grace, no matter how shameful we feel, we can declare that our sin is not the end of the story. No matter how small or limited or shameful we might feel, we can still aspire by God's grace to do something beautiful and loving in this world. Christ's love will win out. God has seen to that. In a few minutes, we'll sing a hymn from Korea, which is usually reserved for Advent, but in its words and international flavor, this hymn expresses our longing for something to bring us together, for some vision that we are all Christ's body, clothed and alive and reconciled in this world. When we see ourselves and others as clothed in Christ, the labels and brands we cling to so tightly, such labels and brands gradually lose power. As one biblical scholar said, the promise is not that before God all differences and diversity is eliminated. The promise is that before God these differences 
are irrelevant. These distinctions do not have power. Draped in Christ, we all approach God fashioned into children of grace, diverse and redeemed. What does it look like to clothe ourselves in Christ? What does it look like to live as if we are beloved children of God, called and claimed and chosen to live with a purpose in this world? Sometimes it means acting with compassion, even if we do not feel it as deeply as we would like. Sometimes it means forcing ourselves to have patience, even when we want to shout with frustration. Sometimes it means, like the psalmist in Psalm 42, choosing to hold on to hope that one day we will see the face of God, even if all we feel right now is a deep, unquenchable pain and longing. When we find our mind whirling and our heart hurting and our bodies recoiling with fear, clothing ourselves in Christ might mean consciously, deliberately choosing hope over despair, love over fear. It might mean living as if we really are surrounded by Christ's compassion and care until we finally begin to believe it for ourselves. Clothing ourselves in Christ might mean wearing something that at first feels awkward, but which finally, ultimately, will transform everything. For example, how many of you have been on a plane lately? Or specifically, how many of you have been on a plane that was a space of patience, compassion, and community? Anyone? These are not garments we often wear as we travel through airports and tight plane aisles. Or if we were wearing patience and compassion when we arrived, it was surely confiscated by TSA after the third time through the metal detector. We've all been there. However, in the midst of all the events in the past week, there is another story that emerged from Orlando. And perhaps you have heard this already. But I share it with you now as an example of people putting on garments they might not usually wear, garments of patience and kindness on an airplane. They might not be wearing these garments in the name of Christ, but they do reveal something of Christ. This story was shared by Kelly Davis Karras, a stewardess. She writes, Below is a picture of Luis Omar. Amar, as his friends and family called him, was a Latino man gunned down at an LGBTQ bar in Orlando last weekend. He was 20 years old. Today, my dear friend, Melinda, and I had the sad privilege of attending to his grandmother on our flight as she made her journey to Orlando to join her family during this unspeakable time. Knowing she was making this hard journey alone, Employees on JetBlue made sure to be at her side every step of the way. Melinda stood quietly by her wheelchair while we waited until it was time to board. Kelly, the gate agent, boarded with her and helped her get settled. Melinda and I gave her a blanket, a pillow, a box of tissues, and water so that she could be as comfortable as possible. She was understandably distraught, but met us with kindness and gentleness and gratitude. But here's where our flight got truly inspiring. I had the idea to pass around a piece of paper to everyone on board and invite them to sign it for this grieving grandmother. 
I talked it over with Melinda, and she started the process from the back of the plane. And as we took beverage orders, we whispered a heads up about the plan as we went. Halfway through, Melinda called me, Kel, I think you should start another paper from the front. Folks are writing paragraphs. So I did. And then we started one in the middle. And then lastly, we were running out of time on an hour and 15-minute flight, so we handed out a piece of paper to everyone still waiting. When we gathered them together to present them to the grandmother, we didn't have just one sheet of paper covered in names, which I had envisioned. Instead, we had page after page after page after page of long messages offering condolences, peace, love, and support. There were even a couple of cash donations and more than a few tears. When we landed, I made an announcement with her permission and at the request of a couple of passengers, we offered a moment of silence in Omar's memory. As we deplaned, every single person stopped to offer the grandmother their condolences. Some just said they were sorry. Some touched her hand. Some hugged her. Some cried with her. But every single person stopped to speak to her, and not a single person was impatient at the slower, deplaning process. I will never forget today. I am moved to tears again as I struggle to put our experience into words in spite of a few hateful, broken human beings in this world who can get their hands on mass assault weapons, people are kind, people do care. And through our customers' humanity today and through the generosity of this wonderful people that I'm so grateful to work for, I am hopeful that someday soon we can rally together to make the world a safer place for all. Being clothed is about claiming who we are and who we want to be. Choosing to believe that we are clothed in Christ is a profound declaration of faith, an incredibly powerful statement about how we want to choose to live into the world. Over the next week, I wonder what it would look like to clothe ourselves in Christ, to try to picture ourselves as close to Christ as two shirts on the same hanger, one tucked into each other. I wonder what it would be like to imagine ourselves as being draped in garments of hope and love and grace, even when we might not be feeling these things from the inside out, imagining that these garments are being draped over us without even our power to refuse. I wonder how it would be to look around and try to see others as clothed in Christ, no longer ostracized for who they are or what, how they express themselves to be, but instead clothed in Christ, made in the image of God, beloved bodies cloaked in an abiding, redeeming grace. How would it be to see others as so cloaked in such a grace? I wonder what this would be like. May it be so. Let us pray. Lord, we ask you to shower us with your love, to clothe us with your grace, to renew us in a commitment to live as if you are with us every moment. For indeed, through faith we declare that you are. Amen.